You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. Energetic Bear's paw prints have been seen at SFO. A leading wind power company is hit with ransomware. The Nemty Gang hangs up a going-out-of-business sign. Advice for a more secure network. Why healthcare is an attractive target for cyber attack during a pandemic. ICANN pleads for action against scam domains. And the fortunes of Zoom. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, April 15th, 2020. Hey, everybody. Guess who left their heart in San Francisco? Yes, yes, Mr. Tony Bennett, but no, not us. We checked when we got back to Baltimore from RSA, and our heart's pretty much where it's always been, right there on the left-hand side of the breastbone. It took a licking, but kept on ticking. But somebody else hearts the city by the other bay. You'll remember the two networks at San Francisco International Airport that were hacked last month. Researchers at security firm ESET have fingered a suspect. On the basis of the tactics, techniques, and procedures the security company observed, ESET attributes the attack to Energetic Bear, generally regarded as a threat group operating on behalf of Russia's GRU. So it's Fancy Bear's aerobicizing sister, who made her bones going after energy infrastructure in the Middle East. You may know Energetic Bear by her dragonfly alias. What were they after? Not so much the airport networks themselves as credentials of those who used them. Specifically, as ESET puts it, the intent was to collect Windows credentials of visitors. Do remember, as always, that attribution is usually necessarily circumstantial, and that's the case here. Recharge News reports that Portugal-based international power producer EDP has suffered a ransomware attack. According to Bleeping Computer, the strain involved in the attack was Ragnar Locker, 
and the attackers have demanded 1,580 Bitcoin in ransom, the equivalent of $10.9 million or 9.9 million euros, in order to restore EDP's files. As is now customary, the ransomware operators say they've taken some 10 terabytes of company information, which they threaten to release if the victim is slow to pay. EDP is a major player in Europe's gas and electric sector and the world's fourth-largest wind power producer. Data privacy continues its ascension as a critical component of cybersecurity. Emily Mossberg is a principal on Deloitte's Cyber Risk Services leadership team. We chatted at the RSA conference about the geographical and cultural elements of privacy. We're seeing more and more that global companies want a level of consistency in terms of their cyber programs. Hmm. If we look around the globe, there's definitely a distinction and difference in terms of the maturity of programs and where different countries and regions are Hmm. in terms of their maturity and understanding cyber and implementing their cyber programs. So there's a big focus on what does that mean in terms of the program itself. And, you know, one of the big things is how do they educate globally Hmm. on the area of cyber, particularly as the stakeholders shift and change. How do you educate a global organization? How do you get everybody on the same page in terms of the risks? Because the CISO organization itself isn't going to be able to have the scale to face off on the issue as a whole. It's, It's very big. So how do you get a global organization on the same page to understand what the risks look like? And to know basically who to call for help when you start to see something that's interesting or maybe needs a closer look. Hmm. I mean, that, that, that strikes me as a, a really fascinating problem, especially at a global scale where not only are you dealing with uh, technical issues, but you're dealing with different cultural issues around the world as well. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it is cultural issues. And if you even think about the legal and regulatory environment, there's elements there as you think about what the expectations are around employee interaction and protection of privacy and the overlap of security and privacy. So it really requires an organization to think very comprehensively about what they need to include in their program and what needs to be focused on being consistent, but Mm. maybe not exactly the same based upon cultural norms, legal and regulatory environment, et cetera. Let's touch a bit more on on privacy, um, because I think, particularly from the regulatory point of view, it's a it's a place we're seeing some movement and some momentum. Um, what sorts of messages are you providing your clients in terms of preparation for regulatory regimes that that may be to come? Well, one of the things that we've looked at and talked about around privacy for a long time is the fact that. It's very complex. Even when you start to see, you know, some of the consistencies in the EU around the GDPR, you have to overlay that with other various regional privacy laws and security laws that are focused not always on the same goals. So getting to a place where you understand sort of what your foundational program needs to focus on, where are the the areas of overlap and similarity that if you have a single focus for your program, you're going to meet multiple legal and regulatory requirements. And then where do you need to flex your program and be specific within a specific geography or country in order to meet the difference between where your foundation is and what the expectations are for that particular country or region? That's Emily Mossberg from Deloitte. 
With so many people working from the social isolation of home, the better to avoid spreading the coronavirus, there's no shortage of advice on making telework more secure and doing so as quickly and easily as possible. Security experts are advising in general that organizations and individuals take five steps to improve their security during remote work. They come down for the most part to familiar cyber hygiene recommendations and their familiarity doesn't make them any less important. First, keep systems patched and up to date. And while we're on the subject, we note that both Microsoft and Adobe patched yesterday. Microsoft fixed 113 bugs in its products, 19 of them critical and 94 of them important. Four of them are being actively exploited in the wild. Adobe addressed five issues in Cold Fusion, After Effects, and Digital Editions. None of Adobe's seem particularly urgent, but you never know, so please do your due diligence. To return to the advice people are offering, the second common recommendation is to use multi-factor authentication. Third, avoid reusing passwords. That's how credential stuffing happens. Fourth, be alert to the possibility of phishing emails. They won't always betray themselves with eccentric usage or grammar or with sloppily pasted logos. But with a little attention, an alert user can become a reliable detector of most of the phishing attempts, especially the low-grade ones. And fifth, consider using a virtual private network. That last bit of advice should be followed with caution and circumspection. Zscaler says it's found a number of phony VPN sites using spoofed brands to deliver information stealers. Any organization will be concerned about the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of its data, but there are few sectors where these matter more than they do to healthcare, especially during a pandemic. The Washington Post and others report that there's been no respite in attacks, particularly ransomware attacks, against organizations engaged in developing or administering treatment for COVID-19. This isn't because healthcare and research organizations are especially poorly prepared to defend themselves. Rather, it's because the data they hold is urgently needed and therefore unusually valuable. Health IT security sees smaller hospitals and care facilities as particularly attractive targets. The criminals perceive them as likely to pay the ransom rather than risk an interruption of care. No one, we repeat, no one should expect any public-spirited restraint in the underworld, not even during a global crisis. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission's update on COVID-19-themed complaints it's received is evidence enough. The losses to fraud victims reported to the FTC since the beginning of January totaled $13.44 million. Some of that fraud has been facilitated by domains established to push bogus merchandise and other scams, an inter-aisle consulting group study conducted for ICANN concluded at the end of March. Naked Security describes how ICANN, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, has written to its accredited domain registrars and asked them to take action against the registration of new domains whose names suggest a pandemic theme. And, of course, since the pandemic is peaking during tax season, there's a criminal convergence between tax fraud and COVID-19-themed attacks. The Hill reports that the U.S. Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, is warning tax professionals that they should expect to be targeted. Reuters reports that London-based Standard Chartered is the first major global bank to tell its employees to stop using Zoom because of concerns about the platform's security. But according to Reuters, the memo also indicated that employees should shun Google Hangouts, too. Standard Chartered says its employees have other more secure means available to conduct business. As concerns grew over the teleconferencing services' security, 
Zoom has begun to issue weekly security updates. iMore reports that the latest of these, out yesterday, enhances the password options available to users and session organizers. Some of last week's improvements included giving paying customers the option of choosing how their traffic will be routed. The news that Zoom traffic routinely transited Chinese servers aroused alarm in many. The new routing options, one might add, are reassuring only insofar as one believes Zoom either escaped or contained potential security problems in its code supply chain. Several of its partners are Chinese firms, as Citizen Lab found when they looked into the company's encryption issues. One of the widely reported security problems that have troubled Zoom as the teleconferencing platform's usage suddenly expanded has been the availability of login credentials on various black markets. The data exposure, as Fast Company points out, isn't due to a breach at Zoom itself. Instead, it's the result of credential stuffing, in which attackers try credentials called from other incidents to see if their users have casually employed them for other sites or services. All too often, the users have done exactly that. Don't be like that. Hey, everybody. want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com resilience. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, we've got an interesting article. Uh, this is from the folks over uh, the, on the Naked Security blog from Sophos, uh, written by John E. Dunn. And it's titled, Thousands of Android Apps Contain Undocumented Backdoors, Study Finds. What's going on here, Joe? 
Well, these guys have studied the behavior of a bunch of apps, including 150,000 apps from the Google Play Store and some apps from the Chinese market Baidu. And they found that some of these apps have behaviors you might not expect. Now, what's interesting is they also studied, now get this, Dave, 30,000 apps that are pre-installed on Samsung devices. Hmm. What? Uh. <laughs> that boggles my mind that there yeah. are 30,000 apps that have come pre-installed on Samsung devices. You know, Samsung makes a lot of stuff, but they uh, do. <laughs> Even if they've made a hundred different products that you would pre-install an app on, that's still 300 apps per object, per phone, right. per device. <laughs> it's got to be. I'm imagining this, the the new the new Samsung, uh, you know, bloatware 5000, where you, right. you, you you unbox it and you power it up, and there's you know thousands of pages of pre-installed apps just. Right. They're and, ready and waiting for you. <laughs> and it already runs slow, new, and out of the right. box. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah, this is why I don't recommend uh, – first of all, I don't really recommend Samsung products. I, I've not been impressed with their security, and and this amount of bloatware that's installed, uh, 30,000 apps, that's unconscionable. <laughs> um, but anyway, they analyzed all these apps looking for backdoors, they call it. And that, that's kind of uh, – the article says it's an emotive term, and I agree with that. Uh, yeah. What they're looking for is exhibited behaviors, and they found that somewhere between 5 and 6% of these apps, depending on which marketplace you're looking at, exhibit behaviors that include secret keys, master passwords, or secret commands, and some other apps that seem to be checking user input against blacklisted words, such as political leaders' names, incidents hmm. in the news, and possibly racial discrimination. Hmm. Right. So they're they're using this broad term backdoors to to cover basically things that the app is doing and information it's exchanging that it's not being on the up and up about. That's right. It's not being open about it. Um, yeah. What's interesting is these bloatware apps exhibited a rate that was more than twice the rate of the apps from Google Play or from the Baidu store. That sixteen hmm. percent of the bloatware apps were were conducting these behaviors. Hmm. Now, when you when you uh, have purchased an Android device, and and if you've gotten a brand that comes with these these pre-installed apps, is is the first thing you do pretty much go through and delete them? I, I've tried to do that, and in some cases, you actually can't remove them. They've built the software such that you can't remove the pre-installed apps. I remember one of my original HTC devices that I got from Sprint had a NASCAR app that I couldn't uninstall. Huh. I can't stand NASCAR. I, I have absolutely <laughs> no interest in it. But I couldn't get rid of the app. I absolutely right. couldn't get rid of the app. Um, huh. There are other other things that come on the Samsung phones. I've owned a couple of Samsung phones, and I couldn't get rid of some of the Samsung apps, like their fitness app that I didn't want. I would prefer to use other apps, but I still had to keep their app installed. And because their app is installed, if I don't go in and physically disable it and tell it not to run, which I had to do with all the Samsung apps, um, and even then, how do I know that they're – uh, actually disabling it because this is Samsung's version of Android because Android's an open source operating system. Right, now, there, right. there's, there's a way to protect yourself against this, and that is to buy an Android One certified phone, uh, which comes with just the stock Android, and um, bloatware is not allowed to be included in the, in the distributions in order to be uh, listed as an Android One phone. Of course, you will probably remind everybody that Apple absolutely forbids the installation of bloatware apps on their phones, regardless of who the carrier is, because they're the only manufacturer of the phone. 
That's right. That's right. Well, and I don't have to remind them because you just did. So thank right. you, Joe. Yes. <laughs> so there you must two- have pained you to have to do that. Didn't it, it does, Dave. It does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose that's one of the answers. Then is if you pay this, you know, this tax for the the more pure versions of either Android or what people refer to often as the Apple tax. Right. That solves the issue of of the bloatware. But if these things are coming through the the Play Store. And I suppose there's no reason to think that the, the same thing isn't happening on the Apple App Store. I'm yeah. not sure there's an easy way to protect yourself against this. Yeah, I mean, just limit the apps you have installed. The other day I looked at how many apps I had installed on my phone. It was over 100, and I was kind of dismayed by that. I'm, I probably don't need 100 apps installed on my phone. Yeah. Um, but I would like to see a similar study done on the apps available in the App Store from Apple. Because I would imagine that this is probably going on in the Apple Store as well, in, the, in apps from that store as well. Uh, but I'll bet that Apple has a more severe response. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Maybe just a little more stringent yep. from the get-go in their testing. But, you know, stuff stuff slips by. Stuff does, does slip by, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, it's an interesting story, again, from the Naked Security blog over at Sophos. Uh, Thousands of Android apps contain undocumented backdoors. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. <laughs>